You guys are off. Are you hanging with me this morning? Why don't you follow them, buddy? They're all going that way. Thanks for the support, though. I appreciate it. No one else will do that. <laughs> I invite you this morning to turn to the Gospel of Mark as we continue on our march. How many have been watching basketball games this week? There have been some amazing games. I have only watched a few minutes, but it seems to be that I've been on the radio when all the exciting stuff has happened, and I think it's more exciting to listen to on the radio than it may even be to watch, but what a week. It has been madness in March, as it always seems to be, and we continue in our series along that theme this week, looking at the final moments of Jesus and his disciples leading up to the cross There's so much going on and so much that Jesus was trying to teach and so much that he was trying to do in his disciples' lives. And we we see yet again just the depth that Jesus was trying to go to to speak to his disciples. And so we find our passage this morning from the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. It'll be on the screen, but I encourage you if you have any way in your own hands to hold the word as well to do so. Mark chapter 14, starting our reading with verse 12 going through verse 31, Mark 14, 12 through 31. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went to the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were there reclining at the table eating, he said to them, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, Jesus replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Father, we ask this morning that your word would be a blessing to us as it always is. We pray, Lord, that what Jesus was trying to teach these disciples might be something that we need to hear. And we ask, Lord, that we would just have open ears and open hearts to your word. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a part of a basketball game that no spectator gets to see. No matter how important VIP ticket holder you are, no matter how much you paid for your seat, 
There is one part of a basketball game or any sporting event that you will never be invited to observe. Yet this event, this part of the game, can change the entire course of a game. Games considered lost, games far beyond reach, there's no way to come back from. Literally are turned around after this part of the game has taken place. Does anybody know what part of the game I'm talking about? It's on the front of your bulletin if you don't know. Halftime. Halftime is a crucial piece in the puzzle of a game and of a team, and a team that can be doing so right if they don't continue to make the right adjustments can come out in the second half and fall apart. A team that has fallen apart in the first half can come to halftime and with their coaches and with their teammates get a game plan together to come back, come storming back and stun the world. You may have watched this past week as the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I didn't even know there's a school like that upset the number one ranked team, not only in their conference, but in the nation. And they didn't beat them by a last second three-pointer. They stomped them by 20 points. Do you know it was tied at halftime? 21-21? I don't know what that coach said to his team at halftime. I think it worked, don't you? The course of history can be changed by a talk with someone who cares deeply about our future. And I just want to share a short video with you about such a speech, and then we'll continue on with the message. All right, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, man, my blood gets pumped after watching a video like that. I don't know about you, but we were born for the moment. Do you know that? We were born for, born for the moments in life, and Jesus had some moments with his disciples. Now, we want every story to end like we know many of the stories on this video ended. They went out, and they were the underdogs, and they overcame. They were outmatched and outgunned, and they found a way to overcome, and We enter in a game like that, and we don't know how it's going to end. 
go back to the Gospel of Mark now. It's been about three years now that Jesus has had his disciples around him, teaching them and loving them and helping them, trying to get them to understand who he was, what he was about, what was about ready to happen to him. And it just seemed that so many times it fell on deaf ears with these guys. They just didn't seem to get all that Jesus was, was trying to say and do. And, and he knows that that's about halftime. The critical moments are about ready to happen because he knows that in just a few hours, the cross is before him. He knows that he's going to leave them in one sense, yet he'll remain with them in the future in another. And he knows that everything has been going right up until this point. I mean, this is, this is the, the team that's up by 30 at halftime, right? I mean, Jesus has been working miracles. He's been raising people from the dead. The blind have received sight. The deaf have, can now hear. The lame can now walk. The prisoner has been set free. The sinner is saved. Everything that has been going right has been going right. And before long, everything that could go wrong will go wrong for these disciples. The, the master who they thought was invincible will be crucified. The group of 12 that feels invincible, Jesus said was even predicted thousands of years before, will be scattered to the wind. And this movement that they believed in their heart would change everything in just a number of hours will seem to me the most hopeless group of failures the world has ever seen. Jesus knows the score now. Jesus knows how the score is going to end but he wants to have a talk with his disciples at halftime, if you will, about what is going to happen next. He wanted to burn into their heart and into their minds some images about who he is and about what they've been about and about what's been going on in order that when that dinner's over, that meal is done, and they go on with life and they run from the cross and then come back together again later, they might remember some of the things that Jesus said to them. The time had come for Jesus to have a talk with his disciples. Now the Bible says very clearly what's going to happen after Jesus is crucified. It says the, sh- the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will scatter. And the disciples don't want to hear it. That's always a dangerous place to be, isn't it? When, when your coach is trying to have a talk with you in a critical moment of the game or a parent or a friend or a pastor or someone at a critical moment in your life when you want nothing to do with it, you're in no way, shape, or form going to hear a word of what he's saying. And Jesus is the Son of God himself is telling them that someone in this room is going to betray me. Well, it'll never be me, God. And it's like they took turns going around the circle. <laughs> I don't know who idea that was? Probably Peter's. He had all the bad ideas at this point in his life. And they all went one by one and said, it would never be me. I would never do that to you. I would never do that to you. I would never do that to you. And Judas, of course, was the one who would betray his life. But they all would scatter from his presence in that moment. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that he would be alone. He knew that these disciples would make decisions that would that would crush them, and that they'd have a hard time recovering from. And so I believe Jesus gathered his, his guys around that night 
to have her conversation with them that they would remember after the dust of the cross had settled, after the shock and the horror of what they saw and the, and the shame and the guilt of the way they ran would kind of get, kind of settle back down and they had a place where they could listen and hear the voice of God again in their life. This meal might be an offering to them about some things that Jesus wanted to say. Amazing to me to think of this fact that Jesus had this dinner all planned out in advance. He's, you know, disciples like, all right, Lord, we need to make preparations. And uh, so Jesus says, yeah, go into town and look for a guy carrying a jar and uh, ask him if he's got a room because Jesus needs a place to stay. And that's the way it happened. He had it all planned out. He had the room. He had the place. He had the location. He had the meal. It was all ready for his guys when they got there. And Jesus sets the table so perfectly for you and I. Whether it's in worship or in prayer or in the word, he has the words that we need every time that we need them. If we're willing to listen to what Jesus is trying to say in our heart and in our life. So I think in Jesus' mind, he sees this as the halftime of their life and ministry. And they're about to face the hardest half of their life that they'll ever encounter, that anyone could ever encounter. They're going to see their master beaten, condemned, and crucified. And they're going to fail him, every single one of them. And Jesus wants to give them some tools to help them be ready for what's coming next. So that they can face the forces of darkness that may overwhelm them and fill them with despair. And so he has the talk with them. And that's really the way I want to look at this section this morning. And it wasn't that Jesus was trying to make three or four points about what they had to remember, but there are, there are images from this dinner that, that I grabbed a hold of as I studied this passage. And I just want to share those with you this morning is the images that Jesus wanted to share with them. Now, the guys didn't know it yet, but this is going to be their last meal together. Jesus knew. Why he didn't share about communion and about his body and his blood the way he did before, I'll never know. But he wanted them to look back on this night and never forget the words that came from his mouth. Now, if you've ever lost a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or someone that's really close to you, uh, more than likely you remember your last few moments together. Maybe you remember the last thing you did that was fun or the last meal that you had together. And as the disciples, I have to believe that they would remember the last meal they had with God himself. And the images that Jesus was working on were forever burned into their heart and into their mind. So there's just three this morning images that stuck out to me that I want to share with you. And then I know they're busily preparing our meal in the back. And uh, we are looking forward to sharing that together. So the first thing that I saw in this, in this expression of Jesus' ministry, this talk that he had with him, was just the reality of everything that we see. The reality of the image of Jesus sharing life and ministry with them together. I don't know how you are, but as a guy, when I know something difficult or stressful is coming on, Normally, my first reaction is to, to go on a walk or uh, just to go someplace peaceful by myself and, 
and try to work things through and try to think things out and then talk with my wife. But my first reaction probably, honestly, is just to have some time for me to think this through and to try to figure it out. And, but Jesus wanted to be with his guys. Jesus wanted to be close to them and he wanted to be near to them and he wanted them to know that, that he cared deeply about them. And I don't know how you feel if you want to think of today, no matter how old, how old you are or how long you've been with Christ, as, as halftime. It's a time where the Lord wants to whisper something into your heart or into your life. And, and are, we, are we listening? Are we open to the words of our coach? Are we open to the words of the one who has been given the gifts by his father to give us the words and the encouragement and the, and the, and the help that we need to go out into the second half or go out into tomorrow in a way that will bring victory to our own life and to the life that God is calling us to be a part of? So there's an image of God wanting to be near to us, but there's Another image that I think we need to be realistic about is that Jesus said that every one of you will fall away. And what I mean by sharing that is that, you know, we look at that passage in this Gospel of Mark and, you know, we cajole the disciples, you know, why would you just put your foot in your mouth like that? Why would you say in front of your friends, I'll never fail you, Lord. I'll be there until the end. In fact, if you die, I'm going to die with you. And it was just a few hours later, that moment came, man, they were gone. They ran the other way as fast as they could. And the fact of the matter is that the game of life and the time when we're tested, there are times when we fail God. There are times when we run the other way. We should have spoken up. We should have said something. We should have not done something or done something that God wanted us to do or not do, and we let him down. There's not a man, woman, boy or girl in this sanctuary this morning that hasn't been there. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that he wants to gather around us. That means that he wants to still talk with us and speak to us and move in our life and there's no perfect team out there. There's no perfect church or perfect family or perfect anything or anyone except him. We're all fallen. We're all creatures of this world, and yet God still desires to talk with us. God still desires to come into those critical moments of our life when, when everything's on the line and speak to us and be with us and remain as a part of our life. We don't know all the reasons the disciples ran from this reality. They denied it, first of all, that they could ever fall. That's always a dangerous place to be. <laughs> Jesus said, be careful if you're proud because you're probably going to fall. <laughs> a place of realizing that we all are in need of this amazing shepherd to come along our side and lead us through whatever future we have, whatever part of the game is left for you and I. We have a hunger for that image of Jesus coming near to us. And I hope that you and I know that in our own life, that the coach is near. It's not that he's on the other side of the court screaming at us directions and ordering us to do absolutely everything that he says or we're going to be an utter failure. Instead, he invites us into the room of his heart, into the nearness of his presence, so that he can speak the words that we need from the moments that we need them. 
The reality of the image is that we are hopeless and helpless without him in our heart and in our life. It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter how much natural ability that we have or don't have. We all need this great master to speak to us and to be near to us. So that's the reality of the image, a broken group of guys in need of the only one who could deliver them from what was to come. In our honest moments, you and I all can say this morning that we're broken. We're in need of the one, the only one, who can give us the words for today and for tomorrow. Let's ensure that we come to the table that Christ offered by his word. Kind of alongside this is the second image that I see is is that of fellowship. And it's a beautiful picture of God coming alongside his friends and offering himself to them. And, and I don't know about you, but when things go wrong, things get stressful and scary, one of the first reactions is to run away and hide by yourself. Anyone like that? Not a good part of you are, and the rest of you, just your hand's tired. <laughs> Not all of us, but for a good part of us is that when things are troubling and things are dark, things are scary, Natural reactions is to run away. Run away from the problems, run away from the people causing the problems, run away from God, run away from everything, because if we run away, then we're away, right? The problem is that wherever you are, there you are. Jesus saw this coming. Jesus knew it was predicted that they'd be scattered to the wind. I don't know when it was after Jesus' crucifixion and death and resurrection that it was that the disciples started to think back about this night. Maybe much like you and I think back to the memories of a loved one who's left this world for another. To that last conversation you had with the one who meant so much to you. And the disciples bump into each other out there on the road as they run and go, oh man, I've missed you. Hey, have you seen any of the other guys? Wonder where everyone else is. We, you know, maybe, maybe we do need each other. Maybe we, you know, the team needs to get back together again because we're never going to fix this problem on our own. We're never going to get all the answers on our own, and we're certainly not going to be safe on our own. The more we have around us, the better. There's a great principle in that and a great danger in feeling like we have to go through life alone. Certainly in our dark moments, We can be tempted sometimes to believe that we're safe alone, that we'll be more okay alone, that we'll be more protected from the danger of tomorrow by being alone. And Jesus wanted to burn into the image of his disciples that the safest place is around the table of Christ, is partaking in the sacraments of his love and of his presence and of his power and his word working in our life. And then their hearts were broken by what they had lost, and they probably wondered if there ever would be a time where they could gather around a meal or a table together. I believe the image of the fellowship of the family of God was something that would be burned into their heart and into their minds for the rest of their lives. And for all who know the blessings of eternity, that fellowship of the family of God will be something that we enjoy for all of all time. And he wanted his disciples to remember that you were never better alone than you are together. 
It's a good thing for us to remember in our dark and hardest moments where we feel like we need to hide our problems from the world. We need to keep our secrets to ourselves. We need to feel like no one else will care or understand or know what it feels like to be in the place that we are at. And Jesus invites us back to the table, into the fellowship, into the family, in those places and in those moments because we will only know the truest happiness and the truest safety and the truest joy as we gather together in the family of God as he draws us together as one in him. Remember, before I became a Christian, uh, I, I've, in a sense, I've always been a lonely soul, but I was especially lonely in those moments, wondering what my life was to be about. Where, where was I going to go? What was I going to do with the future that God had for me? What, you know, who was I going to meet, and, and how was I going to spend my time, and, and how was I going to fix some of the messes that I've made in my life? And, and I, I didn't really have a whole lot of friends, and, and, and I had a family that just was divided, and, and I just felt, I felt empty. I felt alone. I felt afraid of tomorrow and uncertain about today and guilty about the past. And I felt stuck and I felt trapped and I felt scared. And then I got invited to church. I got invited home to a family who loved me and cared for me, to a group of friends who were there for me no matter what and for a family that would do everything they could to help me. A family that I longed for them when I wasn't with them. A family that I needed when I was alone. And there's an image of fellowship that God has created in this that calls us back to that family dynamic of growing and serving and hurting and bleeding together. You read about in the early church later on in the Gospels of how when one was in need, they would sell all that they had just to help the others. They would sell everything that they had just to meet the need of someone around them. They were not going to let anyone around them go hungry, go uh, without clothing, without shelter, and it was, it was everything to them. Their fellowship was everything to them. We live in a busy world. We go and we run and we do and we accomplish and we have to-do lists and we have chores and we have messages and we have notifications and we have emails we have to return and jobs to do and conferences to attend and meetings to go to and friends to be with and there are all there are just so many things crying out to us in life. And the disciples were going to have a lot of things to do. I mean, for goodness sakes, they're going to start the church. They're going to be busy guys. But for me, the image that Jesus was trying to remind them of is the closeness of the ones that would die for you. The need that we have of connection with those who will go to the ends of the earth to let us know that we are loved, to let us know that we are prayed for, to let us know that we're not alone, to let us know that God is on our side. And that's why we're here. That's what we're to be about, this image of fellowship that Jesus provided for his disciples was his image and his plan for us, that we would love each other and serve each other and be there for each other in the darkest of moments, in the glorious most of moments, in the empty moments, in the scary moments, in all the other moments of life. Jesus reminds us that I'm here. 
but he reminds us that we are to be there for each other. Thirdly and lastly this morning, there was an image of purpose that Jesus was trying to share with his disciples. And what I mean by that is these were guys who were, I mean, their path was pretty much taken care of. I mean, when you hang out with the Son of God, you know, you run out of food and he just pretty much take a couple of fish and, and you've got a, you know, got a buffet that, you know, no one on this earth can beat. <laughs> you've got someone who comes up to you, got a demon in them. Man, meet my buddy Jesus here. He'll take all that away from you. Someone comes up and says, I've been sick of this disease for my entire life and I've been to every doctor that I can think of and no one has a cure for me. Here's Jesus. Just touch the bottom of his robe and you'll be cleansed. Disciples even had arguments among each other, you know. Hey, Lord, you know, I want to sit on your right hand and I'm going to sit on your left hand. And, you know, the parents were involved and it became a family squabble. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You know, see, you got your eye in the wrong place. This is about the kingdom of God here. Your purpose isn't all about all the things that you want to accomplish. Your purpose on this world isn't just to have a job and to make some money and maybe have a retirement account and you try to live a wholesome life. Your place on the thirst is to have fellowship and communion with God. Your purpose on this earth is to walk with me and I will lead you. And I don't know where you and I are at in, in, our, in our game. You ever seen, seen a team down by 30 points? I've never seen a team down in bat, you know, basketball, football. I've definitely never seen a baseball team down by 30 points. That would be bad. <laughs> you ever seen a basketball team down by 30 points? They don't look very enthused, do they? I mean, they're, 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 they struggled and they tried, but it just it didn't happen. Sometimes the coach even pulls the star players out of the game just to keep them from being hurt or rest them for another day. And, you know, the players that were never good enough to make the starting lineup are just thrown in there out of desperation and a chance that maybe they can improve so somewhere down the road they can get better. What happens in your heart and life when things aren't going right? When the score of the game is not what you anticipated. It doesn't look good from where the time clock is on Sunday morning at First Friends Church. You're not sure if the game's going to end the way you wanted it to or the game that is going to end the way that you dreamed of and temptation is just to give up. Coach, pull me out. I don't think I can make it to the end. Coach, my ankle hurts. You got to sit me down. You know, any excuse that we can find to pull ourselves out of the game because it's hard work to finish a game when you're behind on the score. It takes every ounce of who you are and every ounce of of the strength and and the, the togetherness of a team to come from behind. And I read this week and read the stories and watched the videos of some of the greatest comebacks in in college basketball history and and, and pro sports history. And there seemed to be a dynamic that flowed through every one of them, and, and it was that they were meant for that moment. It was like their whole life, 
They had been preparing for this moment. And even though it wasn't going the way they thought it was going, and even though events around them were, were out of control, and even though the, the situation they were in was not what they would believe they would be in, they still believed in their heart that they were there to be in that moment to give it all that they had. With the teammates that were gathered around them, for the coach who was leading them, for the people around them that was cheering them on, they were born for this moment. And they were put in this moment to give it everything that they had. And in your life and in mine, there can be moments where we just feel like we're all alone. The score is not the way we expected. The place we have and the time that we have left just doesn't seem to be what we were expecting. Coach, pull me out. Coach, someone else is going to be better at that than me. You know, Jesus didn't say that to one of his disciples. I love this picture after the crucifixion and the guys are out fishing and Jesus comes to them and and they catch fish and what does he do? He prepares a meal for them. He invites them back around the table and he doesn't say, hey, Peter, what about that rooster crowing? Hey, John, where were you when I needed you most? down to the list of disciples who ran at the final minute of the game. He says, guys, I need you here. Guys, I want us to get back together. Guys, we have a purpose. There's something happening here. There's something brewing here. There's something going on here that will change the course of the world. And I need you in the game. And God says to you and I, there's something going on here. in your heart, in your family, in your school, your church, in your community, and I need you in the game. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how bad the score is. It doesn't matter how badly you're injured. None of that matters. All that matters is that we're together. And we know where we're going. He wanted them to know that they were there for a reason. There's a purpose for him gathering them together. And it wasn't so they could have a good time working miracles and bringing sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf and all of that. It was for them to realize that he would always be with them. That God's presence was something that would be a gift for all of eternity. And that he might leave them in the physical sense, but he would never leave them in the spiritual sense. You know, it wasn't a few weeks later, one of these disciples stood up and when someone was talking bad about God and says, you know what? From the earliest times of history, God has been with us. Here was a guy who him a couple of days before, forsaken Jesus in his darkest, most neediest moment, and here he stands in front of a crowd and says, he's here. He's always been here, and he's always going to be here. Can you hear him? Will you listen to his word? Will you give your life to him? A man who had failed Jesus as his neediest moment, God still had a reason for him being here in the moment that he was in right now. I think Jesus is trying to say a lot of things to his disciples around that dinner table. 
and we've only talked about a few of them. And he wanted them to know that no matter how far they went, how desperate they got, how dark the moment seemed, how lonely they felt, how bad the score was, I'll always be here. You need each other because I have a plan for you that will change the course of history. Do you believe that in your heart, in your life, that he is here for you? You may be in the center of God's will and following him, and that is what you know and believe with all your heart, and praise the Lord for that. You may feel like you're on the fringes or the outside looking in. It may be that you feel like you've ran from God or you don't even know if he's there. Jesus said to all of those people, I'll always be here when you need me. I want to have a relationship with you. I I want you to remember every time you have a meal that I died for you. We're celebrating Easter in a few weeks and then he reminds us that he rose again so that we can have everlasting life. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer together before we get ready to have a meal. Lord, this morning, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the, all the happenings around Jesus during this chaotic time before the cross. And there is so much happening in his heart and in the, in the hearts of the disciples and, and they felt bulletproof in the moment. When Jesus called them out, they felt bulletproof, but it wasn't very long for them to show how human they really were. And Lord, we're human. No matter how strong we may feel today or how weak, we may feel lost, alone, scared, excited. Lord, we need you in our heart and our life. The reality, Lord, of the moment is, is that we, we are a fallen race. We are a broken people. And we need a Savior who loves us. Father, we were created for fellowship together. And when we, when we run from that, when we hide from that, or we fail to make the priority of gathering together as believers a priority in our life, then we miss something that you have created us to enjoy. We miss the opportunities to work together and join hands and hearts together to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And we, we, we do life on our own. We miss the chances, Lord, to work towards an eternal better together. And we miss our purpose, Lord, when we stay away from those that love us so much. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that as we think about the passage in Mark chapter 14 this week, um, may you remind us of this meal around the dinner table. For the disciples, they look back on it in the days to come as the last time they spoke to Jesus, one of the last times on this earth. And he talked to them about his body being broken for them, his blood being poured out to start a new covenant, or he would forgive and love and heal and bless and never leave or forsake them. Well, that's what you offer us in our own heart and life. And may we know the joy of having you as our Savior, being forgiven. May, Father, we experience as often as we can the beauty of Christian fellowship, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
hurting with each other and crying with each other and laughing with each other and working with each other and ministering with each other. And there is no tie that binds as close as two believers serving an eternal God. And Father, as we find our way to you and to each other, may we, Lord, continue to discover the purpose for which you have called us. And that, Lord, is that when we leave this place, forgiven and freed, working together, the world will hear about you and be changed. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on us this morning for listening to your word, for listening to you, and your blessing on our fellowship, whether we're staying for the food afterwards or for another event we have to go to, Lord. May you watch over us, and may you help us, Lord, to know that we're never alone. And we'll praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.